0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you'll quickly find this passage, I want to read verses 13 through 16, and as we read, I'll uh, stop for some comments along the way, and then we're going to return to the 13th verse, which is our text for today's message. Uh, It's been a few weeks since we've been in this study, so I hope that you'll be able to catch up with me very quickly because I'm not going to do much review of things that we talked about before But here in the 13th verse we read, For this cause, thank we God. I'd like you to notice how this section of Scripture parallels what Paul wrote in chapter 1. And I want you to see that in the beginning of the letter, that Paul introduced himself and his companions. And then he said in verse number 2 of that first chapter, We give thanks always to God for you all. Now in the past weeks of our study, I've emphasized how much Paul loved the Thessalonian church. After his doctrine proved to be too contentious to the Jews in the synagogue and also to the pagan Gentiles, Paul was forced to leave Thessalonica, but since the time that he left, he wasn't sure how well the church was doing. He wasn't sure if they were still holding on uh, to the faith. But then after he received a report from Timothy, who was sent back to check and see how the church was doing, Paul saw that the church was doing very well, although they were suffering much persecution. And he goes on to say in verse number 13, we thank God for you, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. "...which effectually worketh also in you that believe." Now, this 13th verse is the theme of the sermon today. It's the word that works in you. And it's taken from the last part of this scripture, uh, this phrase, "...the word of God which effectually worketh in you." Then in verse number 14, "...for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which is in Judea and are in Christ Jesus." For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now, if you'll look very carefully at this, there's a a pattern that emerges that looks very much like the first chapter. First, there is the thanksgiving that we've just spoken of. There's the power of the word that you'll see in chapter 1 and verse number 5. There is the imitation of the apostle noted by the word followers in chapter 1 and verse number 6. And then we also see suffering in verse number 14, which corresponds to chapter 1 and is noted in that sixth verse by the word affliction. Then he goes on in verse number 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Then verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Now in this 16th verse, we see this pattern matching once again as he speaks of the wrath of God that you see in chapter 1, verse number 10. And so in, in this section, Paul rehearses the same themes as the first chapter, And he drives home this point that these people in Thessalonica had endured all these things. They have faith in the gospel. They have the power of the word that works in them. They are Christ-like followers of the apostle. They suffer because of their faith. And because of that faith, they're promised that they will avoid the wrath of God that comes upon the disobedient. Now, the context of these two sections... Chapters 1 and chapter 2 appear very much different. And Paul proceeds here with a different method of argument than he did in that first chapter. But the results of it are the same. That these people should have confidence that they are true believers in Jesus Christ. Now we remember the, the conflict that goes on in their souls. The thing that is really troubling them at this point is the suffering. It's the pain that they're going through because they have come to Christ in salvation. And it's in those times of suffering, quite frankly, those are the times that we're most likely to believe that God has abandoned us. Whether we're talking about physical suffering or spiritual suffering, uh, those are times when we think that God is not in control and that the devil's winning the fight. The devil's way ahead of us. And this section is about that pain and that suffering that's caused by those who hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there are too many times in the fight that Christians get into a victim mentality and we think that everything is out of control and the outcome of the war is not really sure. That we might, and some people do teach, that we might lose our salvation. There is so much trouble. The devil is so adept at fighting against us. He has centuries to perfect his wiles against the people of God. And so we think that perhaps the war is lost and we're not going to make it to heaven as God has promised. But we see in the passage that the outcome is secure, that God protects and he preserves us from the wrath to come. And by faith in God, we are victorious and we will not come into judgment. Now, I want to take you then back to this 13th verse, and we're going to stay here for the remainder of our time today. And I want to show you that it is the power of God that works through the word of God that brings the full assurance of our faith. And not only of our personal assurance of of our salvation in Christ, but also the assurance of the faith itself. And I mean that system of belief that we have that is known as Christianity. How do we know that this is the one that's the religion, the world, all the world should believe? This is the religion that has hope. This is the one that guarantees us that we'll go to heaven. I want you to see that in this verse, that it's the power of God through the word of God that makes all of that real to us as the people of God. And so the root of this assurance is the Word of God. Now, I understand that Brother Dalton has been uh, began a series of messages on faith. I'll talk just a little bit about faith this morning as we begin here. That if you want a definition for faith, there are some that are proposed and there are uh, several definitions that we could give of it. But one very, very good definition of faith is that faith is to trust the Word. Faith is to trust what the Bible says. Faith is to trust the Word. What do you know about the Word? How much of the Word do you know? The knowledge of God's character, knowing who God is, knowing God's Word, changes your outlook on every difficult situation. Every difficult problem is changed by what you know about God in His Word. You're assured Because the Word works in you. It causes you to recognize the power of faith. What faith can do. And let me just qualify what this faith is. That this is not a faith in yourself. It's not belief in what you can do. It's not the self-esteem gospel that says that you have potential and you have power in yourself. It's just focus in the right direction. Focus on yourself. Focus on what you can do. Then you'll have power. No, this is not about that. This is about the power of Christ, Jesus Christ, through the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and you are powerful only because of Christ. Once again, faith is to trust the Word of God. The Scriptures work. This is the method that God uses to cure all that ails you. It's the Word that cures your failures. It's the Word that conquers all your insecurities. It's the Word that erases all of your doubts. So you need what God says in His Word. And this is the reason that we preach the Word. It's why we want every person in the assembly of Berean Baptist Church to have a copy of God's Word in your hands so that you can see what God says in the Word. Now once again, if you'll look at verse number 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the Word of God which He heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, a good translation of the last part of this verse says the word is at work in you that believe. This verse says that the word works effectively. That means that the word is active The word is alive. The word works in you efficiently to accomplish the will of God in you. That everything that you have the ability to do in the Christian life comes through the word of God. Now we think back to the apostles and the comforting words that Jesus spoke before the crucifixion. He told them that he would go away, but he wouldn't leave them alone. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He will be with you. The Spirit will bring you peace and comfort. The Spirit will be there to strengthen you. In those times when you're brought before magistrates and brought into their courtroom, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit will be there with you to give you the strength that you need to endure those trials. And we may think then, well, it's not really the Word of God that we need, but what we must do is develop a doctrine of the Holy Spirit that continually pleads for us to receive a certain baptism of the Holy Spirit, to receive a certain strength in some ritual or some act that He does, then that will empower us. It's not really the Bible that gives us the power that we need. We need to have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit that that tells us that we need to speak in tongues as they teach in Pentecostal churches. And then the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will fill us and we'll be all set for victorious living. I want to help you with that, and I want to show you that is not the way that the Holy Spirit works. Many times we've spoken of how the filling of the Spirit that we see in the Scriptures is the same as being filled with the Word of God. Whenever you talk about being filled with the Spirit, this is the place that it begins, this is the place that it, that constitutes that filling, that is the Word of God. Ephesians 5 commands us that we are to be Filled with the Spirit. Now, how can you be commanded to be filled with the Spirit? That's not in your ability to be filled with the Spirit, is it? How can you be commanded to do that then? Well, we learn from reading Colossians chapter 3, that's a parallel to Ephesians chapter 5, that we are to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. That we are to let the Word of God, the Word of Christ, dwell in us richly. And that is exactly the same thing as having the Holy Spirit live in you and work in your life. It is the Word in your life. And it is the Word that works in you. And so it should be very clear from this text that it's the Word. It's the Word that gives us power. And that is the same as the Holy Spirit giving you power. Now, the Word at work in the Christian is our subject today. What does the Word of God have the power to do in you? Well, I want to answer that, but before I do, I want to tell you what you must believe about the Word of God before it's true. What is it that you must believe about the Bible? Well, in the first part of chapter 2, Paul was emphatic that the Word that he preached did not originate with him. He said, I don't preach to please men. I preach to please God. And he said, I didn't speak flattering words telling you what you wanted to hear. I spoke words that didn't come from me. These are words that came from God. It's God who knows your heart. It's God who knows exactly what you need. You need to hear from God. And so he described this message that he preached as the gospel of God. So the obvious implication is that the gospel of God is not flattering. God does not intend that his gospel should be flattering to men. God's word is not pleasing to the natural man. The gospel of God stirs up rebellion in the sinner's heart. The gospel of God is very contentious. The gospel of God says that you're not nearly as good as you think you are. The gospel of God will not please you as the message of an apostate preacher will do. The false preacher wants to tickle your ears. The false preacher deceives because he has a motive. His motive is to take advantage of you. The false teacher wants something from you. Many times, as we've seen in the text previous to this, that the motive is money and sex. That goes on in uh, the so-called Christian world today from pulpits. Preachers thirst for power over you. They want to have authority over you. And so they'll say, whatever it takes to be popular, whatever you want to hear, to draw the crowds in, that's what you hear from pulpits today. But that's not Paul. Paul never preached that way. In verse number 5, he said, I don't speak with flattering words. I don't speak with a cloak of covetousness. That made him very distinct from false teachers. If he was like them, then he would have spoken the same things that they spoke. He would have gained the same things that they gained. And what would be the result of that? Well, the people would say, why should we listen to it? Why should we listen to it? It's not anything different than we've heard before. It's not any different from dozens who've come here and said, they have a word to preach, they have a gospel to preach, they have some news for us that will help us, but none of us has ever, none of it has ever helped us before. And so if Paul was to speak what men spoke, that's not going to help the people. Now, the words of men are never going to do what the Word of God does. The Thessalonians received what Paul said as the words of God. And friends, once the Holy Spirit reveals this to your heart, that these, these are the words of God. When the Holy Spirit reveals that to your heart and you believe it, that's when something supernatural takes place. That's when there's a great movement of the heart towards God, he instigates that. And when you realize that this book is God's Word, and you're going to live by God's Word, and you accept it as the authority of God's Word, there are powerful things that take place. The Word begins to mold the Christian. The Word converts the sinner. The Word reshapes the person as a new creation in Christ. And so Paul was thankful for them, because they heard and they believed that he spoke the Word of God. And that's how you must regard the Bible. You must believe that that book that you have in your hands is the word that God spoke. And once you have that settled in your soul, the word begins to work. Now let me emphasize again, as Paul did, it is the word of God. We repeat that after we read the scriptures every Sunday morning. This is the word of God. And we want to impress that upon you. And we like you to repeat that after us. When, When Jason says that. Repeat that. This is the word of God. Or say, Amen. This is the word of God. Now the literal translation of the word which he heard of us is the word heard from us out of God. Or this word that Paul said, I speak, is the word that came out to us from God. Now if you would take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians 1, Paul wrote to the Galatians church, uh, Galatian churches to combat a false gospel. It was a perverted gospel that mixed the right of circumcision with faith as the means of justification. Now, in Galatians, circumcision stands for any rule, any ordinance, any law, any ritual that is added to faith. Now, of course, We don't deal with circumcision in our churches today. That's not an argument among Christians about circumcision. But we do deal with things like penance and baptism and rosaries and other rituals that people want to add to faith. And Paul said if you add anything to it, it's a false gospel. It's not the word of God. And then he tells them where this true gospel came from. On what authority did he tell them? You can't add circumcision. You can't add any works of your hand. You can't add any ritual to faith. Or that's not the true faith of Jesus Christ. On what authority did he say that? Well, we see in verse number 11 of chapter 1. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that is a very important argument for Paul in Galatians. How do they know that what he says is the truth? They don't have a place particularly where they can read exactly what Paul said. So how do they know it's the truth? Paul said, it was revealed to me. It was given to me by Jesus Christ. There is no man that taught me this. God taught me this. So the gospel that Paul preached was supernatural divine revelation. His gospel came from Jesus Christ who is God in heaven, who is the son of God above. He he was taught by God. And he must have been taught by God and directly by God because Paul told them things as I said a moment ago they couldn't know. He taught things about the church the church is a mystery in the Old Testament. You'll not find it there. You won't find the doctrines that Paul taught about the Lord's church in the Old Testament, and that's the only scriptures that they had. And so, if Paul is going to uh, teach them on that subject, he has to receive it from some other source. It must come from God himself. And then likewise, in First Corinthians 15, there Paul gave a definition of the gospel. He said, the gospel is Jesus Christ, dead, Jesus Christ buried, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And then he said, you heard the gospel I received. And what he meant was that he received it as a supernatural revelation of God. So that's what I want you to understand. Before the word works, you must believe it is the word of God. You must believe that it's been faithfully transmitted It has been faithfully recorded. It has been faithfully preserved in this form that we have it today, the written Word. Now, this book then is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And it is the Word through which the Holy Spirit works. Now, the Spirit and the Word are never separated in the Scriptures. You'll not be filled with the Spirit unless you are filled with the Word of God. Everything that you get from God comes through the channel of his word. So we look at the New Testament and we see how did Paul deal with Romans? How did he deal with Galatians, the people of Galatia? How did he deal with the Corinthians? How did he deal with the people at Ephesus? How did he deal with the Thessalonians? And it always comes back to this. It is always through this word that was received from God. And we have it here in this form And so if you want to hear from God, don't expect that Jesus will appear to you in the night. Don't think that God is going to speak to you from heaven and He'll channel it through some weird ecstatic utterances. No, God has already appeared. God has already given us something. He appears to us through the Word. And the Word is the only way that you'll know God. You ignore the Word and you'll never have a revelation of God. Your fellowship... And your closeness to him comes only by the word. So you needn't think that you're a spiritual person unless you have the word. Oh, this is so important. You should be able to see from what I've said just this far how important that the Bible is to you. Those of you who may think, and I hope nobody in Berean Baptist is this way, but those of you who think, I'm this great spiritual warrior. I'm this great servant of God. And yet, if I ask you a simple question from the Bible, you're lost. You don't understand. You don't don't know what to say. Well, you're not a spiritual person. You're not Holy Spirit-filled unless you are filled with the Word of God. So it is the Word that exclusively accomplishes these Christian works. It is the Word exclusively that brings to us these Christian graces that we'll talk about today. What does the Word do in you? That's what we want to talk about. Now that we've got what you must believe about the Bible, let's see what the Word of God does for you. There are many, many things, and I've just narrowed it down to a few. We'll talk about these today. First of all, is conviction by the Word. We're convicted of our sins through the Word. We'll not realize who we are and what we are until we have been convicted by the Word. It's the word that causes us to realize how we stand in God's eyes. The word speaks to us of our spiritual condition. And it tells us that all of us are sinners. Listen to Hebrews 4:12 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick, that is living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The writer of Hebrews says that the scripture will cut you open. The scripture will lay you bare. The scriptures will penetrate to your soul. There's no place to hide. There's nothing uncovered about you. When the word opens up your heart, it begins to expose your vileness. When we open the Bible, we take people to the law of God. We take them to the commandments and there we see there is no one who has kept the commandments. The word itself proves that we are guilty and that we are unacceptable to God. Now understand this, that the Holy Spirit uses the word to change your mind. He changes your mind, first of all, about you. It doesn't conform you. Confirm you rather, the word does not confirm you, but the word begins to conform you. Now, you'll not listen to me if I stand here and I speak by my authority. You'll never agree with me that you're anything but a nice, sweet, lovable, good person. If it's my word that said that you are a guilty sinner, you'd be angry at me. You'd never let me preach from this pulpit again because you don't like the way that I talk about you. And so you'd never listen. But if the Holy Spirit is working through the Word and causes you to listen to the Word, then it begins to change your mind about you. And then you begin to realize that what I've said is the truth. That this is what God says about you. That when you trust the Word, then you understand this is what God says about you. And what God says about you is you are not awesome. You aren't. You aren't as good as you think you are. The Word convicts your heart. It will cause anguish in your soul, so much so that you can't rest until you've done something about it. How many of you that are saved came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you knew you could not stop but come to Christ? Is that not what we call the irresistible grace of God? God working effectually in you? You didn't stop. You couldn't stop when the Holy Spirit began to draw you and said, you will be my child. You must come to me. When you heard that word, the Holy Spirit used that word to convict your soul. And he brought you to Jesus Christ. There's never been a sinner saved who wasn't convinced that he was lost. And the word does that. It's the word that penetrates so deeply that it divides the joints from the marrow. It separates you from all good opinions of yourself so that you see yourself as God sees you. Now, I want you to note in Hebrews 4, the word where it says the word, that is the Greek word, Rima." Here it means the written word. It's the written word, the Bible, that's living and powerful and sharp like a scalpel. We always preach from the Bible because it is the word of God. Secondly, what does the word have the power to do? Well, there is regeneration by the word. This is the word that Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, how? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Regenerated, born again. You are born again by the word. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, how does that happen? Nicodemus, you must be born again. How will that happen? Well, you can be reformed without the word. You can turn over a new leaf without the word. You can try to live a little better life than what you lived before and be nice to people and be a good guy or a good a good girl, a good woman. You can do that without the written word. You might even try to use the Osteen method. You may try to think positively, change your attitude, not to be negative but to think positively. But without the word, you won't be regenerated. You won't be born again without the word. At the end of each of his programs, Osteen says a prayer. If you've ever watched him, he says a prayer at the end. And he says, if you say this prayer, we believe that you got born again. And yet, the message that he preached, that he claims is the right word, is a message of self-enablement. Without the word of God, he's preached without the truth of the Word of God. He has mutilated the Word of God. So doesn't he understand you can't be born again without the Word of God? That's far more important than how positively you can think of yourself. You must be born again, Jesus said, and you won't be born again without the truth of God's Word. Now the Holy Spirit uses the Word to affect regeneration. Regeneration. And regeneration is that sovereign act of God whereby he illuminates our understanding to see ourselves hopeless, to see ourselves helpless. And in regeneration, we're given the ability to respond to this word about us. We're given the ability to change our minds about sin and about self and about God. You can't be regenerated without the word. Now, notice that Peter said, the word lives and abides forever. That's an interesting statement because here he uses a different Greek word from the one that's used in Hebrews. Here the word is not "rema," but the word here is logos. That is the same word that's used by John in John chapter 1 when he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And what did John mean by the word? That's Jesus, isn't it? In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning, he was with God. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. That's logos. Now, it should be evident then that the living word and the written word are used interchangeably in regeneration. And why is that true? Well, it's because the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit in you is Christ in you, and that's what regeneration is. The whole of regeneration is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it is the Christ that is revealed in the written Word. Nobody can be regenerated without the Word. No more can you be saved without the Word than you can be saved without Jesus Christ. So isn't it strange then that preachers will walk into a pulpit, they will announce their text, and as soon as they've read it, if they read it, they abandon the Word. And they'll talk about everything else but the Word. And they'll preach everything but the Word. Some never return to the Word. Some never mention Christ. How is anyone saved without Christ? You abandon the Word, you have abandoned Christ. So how is it then that people go to churches... Where they say, there's no need for you to bring a Bible. Who's going to be saved without the Bible? How is it there are some churches, like some in this area, that say, you don't need to bring a Bible because we're not going to use the Bible. Then they might as well say, you're never going to be born again. Because it's only by the Word of God that you are born again. Jesus Christ is that living Word. Now, the third ability of the Word, how it works in you is sanctification by the word. Once we're saved, the word works by beginning to sanctify the believer. Sanctify is hagiadzo, which is a word that means to make holy. If it's easier for you, it's a word that means to separate. That the word separates you from the world and sets you apart to God. How are we set apart to God? Well, we just need to ask Jesus about that. How are we going to be set apart to God? Well, he tells us this in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Hagiazo them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So our sanctification comes through the word. We learn from the word how we're to live differently. The Word causes us to grow, to be like Christ. Sanctification is growth in holiness so that our lives are more like Christ in character. So you should be very concerned about what you know about the Word. How much knowledge do you have of God's Word? Because without it, you'll not be like Christ. If that's where your sanctification comes from, isn't it imperative that you would know the Word? Isn't it important for you to know the Word if that's the way that you're going to be like Christ? And often we can tell by looking at people's lives how much they have been in the Word. How much do they look like Christ? When I see a member that begins to slide away from service, when I see them slipping in their attendance, when I see members that are unhappy and unenthusiastic about church... I know they're not in the word. I hear some say, oh, oh, but the church is different. The church isn't like it was before. It's not like it was before. But when I hear it, I know that the church hasn't changed. That they're the ones that have changed. Solid rock hasn't moved. They're the ones that have moved. I have a record of more than 1,500 sermons that I preach from this pulpit. And I can go back nearly 16 years of sermons through those sermons, and I can see that sermons 1 through 100 are like sermons 200 through 600. And sermons 900 through 1500 are like the sermons preached in 2002, and it's the same word that's preached in 2018. The doctrine isn't different. The church didn't change anything in all of that time. The text is still the Bible. The interpretations of it are still the same that we gave before. It's not different. It's the same Word. The difference is the sanctifying power of the Word in the believer. When you get out of the Word, you're going to get away from Christ. And then you will be unenthusiastic. And then you will have to fight to come to church and sit here and listen to sermons. You'll drift away from Christ if you're not in the Word. You see, sanctifying power is staying power. You stay straight by the word. You keep on by the word. You turn loose of the word and you turn loose of the power of Christ. Oh, some will say, you know, sanctification, that's the secret of the Christian life. No, folks, that's not a secret. 2,000 years of Christian history and Christian church, this is anything but a secret, so you're not going to argue this point successfully. If you're not as close to the church as you once were, then you need to begin to investigate how much time do you spend in the Word. In the forum class a few weeks ago, Gary reminded us that years ago this church had a motto. Years ago, before I ever came, this church had a motto, free to thrive. And he said that he learned the value of being In all church services. Through that motto. Three to thrive. Now you see most churches have given up two services on Sunday. Much less that they would have one during the week. And I'm just telling you it takes the word of God to thrive. The word in you makes you more sanctified. It makes you look more like Christ. Well there's much more I can say about sanctification. This is not a sermon to expand on every thought. Expound on every thought. We'll come back to it in later messages. We'll see it in chapter 4 where Paul says there, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. But we need to move on. Conviction by the word, regeneration by the word, sanctification by the word, and then fourthly is purification by the word. Psalm 119 verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. In the 119th Psalm, there are 176 verses. 172 are directly related to the word. The word's all-consuming. The psalmist said the word is everything. The word has the power to produce everything godly in me. Now, we don't actually know who wrote this psalm. Likely it was David. Most believe that it was David. And what is it that we know about David? Well, we turn into the New Testament and there we see that David was a man after God's own heart. You wonder, how was David a man after God's own heart? Could it be this? He loved God's Word. This is how God spoke to him. This is how he knew what God wanted from him. This is how he had fellowship with God. It was through the Word. Maybe it's God, David's love for God's word that made him have a heart after God. Well, we know, though, that David was involved in some terrible sins. How was it that he was convicted? What made him turn back to God to be cleansed from his sins? It was the word. Now, of course, David couldn't pick up the Bible he, like we do. He couldn't read the New Testament as we do. He had only the books of Moses, of Joshua, Perhaps he had Ruth in first and second Samuel, the book of Job. Two things that we should note here. That David continually refers to commandments. Throughout the one hundred nineteenth Psalm, he's always talking about commandments. He read the commandments, and in them he found God's character. Jesus said the two great commandments are to love God and to love your fellow man. Both of those are found in the divisions of the commandments. But there's still another way that God or that David knew. God's words. In those days, there were prophets that heard from God and they spoke for God. And so Nathan the prophet came to David after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And Nathan began this way. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. That word, thus says the Lord. That is the word that convicted David. And David recognized it came from God and that's what cleansed him. So think about it. What is it that makes you change your ways when you get away from God? Several weeks ago, I preached a series of messages on proofs of your profession. The reaction to those messages was more vocal than any I've preached in a long time. And what was it that stirred us up to think? What caused us to examine our lives and to look for fruits of salvation? Well, it couldn't be anything but hearing the word. The word purifies, it cleanses from our evil ways. Oh, I'm so familiar with this from these past few weeks in the hospital. This came to my mind that the word is the CT scan for your soul. And it sees everything that's dirty. It sees everything that's displeasing to God. And I don't have the power to do that by anything that I say. No more than I can look at your head and see what your brain looks like. If I could find it there at all. But the word does. The word does that. The Christian hears the Word and the Christian responds to the Word. The Christian knows it is the Word. It came from God. It's the Word of God. So if you're a Christian, you're not going to read the Word of God without it scrubbing and scraping and flicking all that dirt off that builds up in your mind. And if it doesn't do it, then you haven't accepted the authority of the Word. And there are some who won't listen. There are some that are easily offended. And so they make excuses for their behavior rather than changing their behavior. And that is a characteristic of the rejection of the authority of the Word. That is self-idolization. I am God. I'll do what I please. You better be careful with that. Because if the Word does not cleanse your ways, it may mean it doesn't have a regenerated heart to work with. Now, fifthly... I see we're getting late on time. This is what happens when I haven't preached for three weeks, so stick with me. Fifthly, and closely related, and all of it is interconnected, these tentacles of the Word run deep because the Word of God is the life of the Christian. Number five is correction by the Word. Several relative objectives of the Word are found in 2 Timothy. So we're close to 2 Timothy. If you want to turn a few pages towards the back, you'll come to this very familiar passage. There isn't a more comprehensive, objective statement about the word that is found in Scripture. What Paul did here was to take two verses to summarize what David said in 176 verses. If that's not led by the Spirit, I don't know what is. is. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness... That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now you see in verse 16, the Word of God is profitable for reproof. Reproof, that means conviction. Out of conviction comes correction. The Word of God purifies because it corrects. You see, the Word of God is not going to leave you as it found you, it's not going to leave you like you are, it will lead you out of sin. Notice also it says instruction in righteousness. It replaces right or wrong with right. Listen to what Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 26. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he has pronounced against you. The Word corrects. Jeremiah said, amend your ways. Now, as in Second Timothy, the Word will perfect your ways. It's profitable for correction. And how does it do that unless someone speaks the Word to you? How do you know what you have to compare your life to unless you compare it to the Word? The Word will correct what you are. So you must hear the word of the Lord. Amend your ways. Those other voices that you hear, and there are many of them out there, those voices are wrong. The morality of the culture is wrong. You can't let them define good and evil because the culture calls evil good and good evil. But what voice is definitive in all the voices that you hear? It is the voice of the Lord your God. Obey the voice of the Lord your God. Why? It is the word of God. The word of God will correct. It will amend your ways. And so when the preacher preaches faithfully. And when he reports what the word says. It is not his word. It is not the words of men. It is the word of God. Paul said that. Jeremiah said that. God said that. The word faithfully preached is to hear the words of God. And let me give you one more. I could stretch this to seven with ease and seven would make the complete perfect sermon. But it's around, well, it's not around 12 o'clock. It's way after 12 o'clock, isn't it? And we're not entirely sanctified yet, are we? So we'll see what we can do. Number six, preparation by the word. This returns us to the theme of this letter. The theme is sanctification and being prepared for the coming of the Lord. What happens to those who are prepared for the coming of the Lord? Their hope is realized. Their fears are gone. Their doubts are past. Suffering is relieved. There is no pain. There is no sickness. There is no sorrow. There is no crying. What does the word of God do then? It prepares you for heaven. It prepares you for heaven. Your sanctification in this life is preparation for your next life. So if you don't like the word here, you're going to be in sad shape when you get to heaven. Well, thank God for this. He changes your mind about the Word. He puts perfect understanding about the Word and love of the Word in your heart when you get to heaven. Listen to Paul's instructions to the Ephesian elders in Acts. He said, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. The Word of His grace builds you up and gives you an inheritance with His saints. What is that inheritance? It's heaven. Your inheritance is heaven. We are predestined for this inheritance. And so do you realize, Christian, that your eternal life begins in the present? It began when you became born again by the word of God. You were saved. And at the moment that you were saved, God set your feet on a narrow path to heaven. And he gave you citizenship. And he gave you a passport. And he gave you the credentials. Everything that you need to go through those pearly gates. And claim the inheritance. And realize that inheritance belongs to you now. You're as sure for that as if you were already there. The word preached. The word heard. The word believed. The word obeyed. is preparation for the place that you will live forever. And now if you'll just listen a moment longer. For all of you that have already put up the listening sheets and closed your Bibles. You need to be sanctified some more. So I'm going to give you the seventh one anyway. Just sue me. I told you I wasn't going to, but I'm going to anyway. I want it to be a perfect sermon. So you need to make a place for number seven on your listening sheet. Conviction, regeneration, sanctification, purification, correction, preparation. And now we return to Psalm 119. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live. And let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up and I shall be safe. I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. That's a good place for us to stop. Number seven is protection. The word protects. You will be safe. You and I are headed for heaven. And we're also headed for trouble in this life. We've not seen persecution like the Thessalonians. We've not seen it like Christians in third world countries, but it's coming. Increasingly, the world says that Bible-believing Christians must be stopped. If we preach the Bible, our words are classified as hate speech. Did you know the free world is moving in that direction? Today in Canada, Bible quotations have been compared to hate speech. Have you seen how Facebook and Google and YouTube have set their algorithms to shut down comments and sermons and discussions that are posted on their sites? If you don't agree with their worldview, you don't get heard. You must be stopped. You must agree with their perverted worldview. What protects us? The Word. Does it mean we won't be persecuted? No, because the Thessalonians were persecuted. The inspired apostles wrote about it. Jesus warned us about it. In the timeless book, The Word of God, it says you will be persecuted. There will be trouble. Freedom to preach in America has been an anomaly in Christian history. And it's going to end because suffering is the lot for Christians. Our protection, folks, is from the wrath to come. We're not worried about this life. We're worried about the next life. Unbelievers will not be protected. The internet moguls the Hollywood elites, the political and and academic intellectuals, they will suffer the wrath of God. But not us. We are protected by the living and abiding Word of God. It's the Word of God that works. And I hope that you've seen that today. It's only the Word that you can rely on. Nothing else will help you. Nothing else will save you. Nothing else will make you like Christ. Nothing else will protect you from the wrath to come. God relates to us only through the word. So you cherish that Bible that you hold. Cherish the Bible. It is the word of God. Conviction, regeneration, sanctification, purification, correction, preparation, protection. You are Christians because you have received the word of God, not as it think many think the word of men, but because it is the word of God that effectually works in you that believe. And so, church, stay in the Word. Stay in the Word, because that's what makes you Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word. It is the Word of God. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to stand fast in that Word, to preach the Word, never depart from the Word. And Lord, may we do what the message has said today today, Regard the word as the sanctification of our lives, the way that we have power with God, the way that we will be like Christ. The word convicts, the word does all of these things to make us like Christ. Help us, Lord, to receive the word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronit Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.